All right, well, we are wrapping up our series on worship this morning. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 19, um, in just a minute, we're going to read a little bit from a passage there. Um, But the first couple of weeks, what we talked about were um, a couple of different R words that we're using to help us understand how worship works. And so the first thing we talked about was the power of rehearsing, the idea of continually, in a repetitious manner, Um, Getting the truth of who God is into our hearts and songs are a powerful way that we can do that. It's not the only way that we worship, but it's a powerful way that we worship. But by rehearsing the truth of who God is, it gets down inside of us and has an impact. And then last week, um, we kind of did more of this group discussion thing. And we were all just sharing different things we've experienced in our personal lives with the Lord and how worshiping him has touched us and impacted us. And hopefully what you heard were just some things we had received from the Lord. Um, but, but rehearsing the truth of who God is and receiving personally that truth from him, those are like the first two steps in worship. You know, worship is initiated first by God. He's communicating something to us. And then what we're talking about this morning is kind of our part in worship. As we've rehearsed and as we've received, now we move into responding to him where we bring something back. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is responding to him. So I want to just kind of open um, with an important passage um, in the life of Jesus, in the life of um, as he's moving towards the crucifixion. This scene takes place about a week before he dies. He's coming into Jerusalem, and this is like the big moment. He's riding in on that that donkey, and his disciples are gathering, and folks who've been following along begin to celebrate. And we're just going to pick up in the middle of this story. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, it says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen and saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Now there's a whole lot going on in this story. Um, We're not going to get into all of the historical things about it. I just want to, I just want to talk about this as, as sort of a launching point for this morning. Some things that we see about worship going on in this story. First of all, Jesus is arriving. He's present. In fact, he's showing up to do something miraculous that's going to impact not only the people who were there, their lives, but it echoes out now to us. So he was showing up and he was present And as they recognized, here comes Jesus' presence into town, they couldn't help but celebrate. Nowhere in this passage is Jesus demanding that they worship him, requiring it of them. He doesn't tell them this is what you should do and how you should do it. And, you know, this is a big day. You should probably get everybody excited because I'm coming in. No, they just recognized that Jesus was coming 
and they couldn't help but cry out. They were so moved by the fact that he was arriving, they began to declare his glory. Jesus, in fact, points out to the Pharisees as they try to shut it down like they so often tried to shut down other things he was doing. As they try to shut down, Jesus even says, listen, when I show up like this, if people were to keep silent, the earth itself would cry out. Something miraculous is taking place when God shows up. Now, I want to encourage you to hearken back a little bit. I don't know if everybody was here when, when Pastor Jonathan was in town, but one of the things that he talked about when he was here is the difference between the fact that God is always present. He used that word omnipresence. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It means he's everywhere at once, all the time. But then he also talked about the significance of the word manifest presence. It's, it's tangible. I recognize, I know God is always here, but something specific is happening right here, right now. God has just shown up in my life. This is a picture of that. Jesus is showing up in a real, tangible way, and his people couldn't help but to sing out and declare how good he is. And I also, I also love this little picture of Jesus' heart that we have here as he weeps over the vast majority of Jerusalem that misses it. I mean, these are people who for thousands of years have been longing for, looking for, waiting on the Messiah of the ages to show up. There are prophecies from 500 years before, 600 years before that Jesus is fulfilling in that moment as he rides into town and they're missing it. Now notice God's heart. Is he angry? Is he like, I can't believe they're missing. I can't believe they're not worshiping me right now. No, his heart breaks for them. He weeps on their behalf that they are missing the moment of their visitation. They didn't recognize that he had shown up. That's God's heart for us in worship. His heart is to show up, to, to save us, to rescue us, to touch our lives in a very real and personal way. And we were made, we were designed when we're in God's presence to go, whoa, you're amazing. You're incredible. Look at some of the words that they're, they're singing out. They're saying, blessed is the king. There's something incredible about recognizing that God is king. Listen, a big part of my life, I strive to be the king. And I kind of think that's what I want most of the time. I want to get my way. I want to arrange my life. But it's so futile and, and it's so exhausting I mean, have y'all ever had that moment where you're just tired of trying to figure it out? You're tired of trying to be in control? There is so much freedom that comes rushing into our lives and we finally just go, God, thank you that you are king and I'm not. I can lay down this striving and trying to figure it out on my own and just go, you be in charge. And that's where freedom comes in. And then we worship, we respond to that. God, you're king, I'm not, you're blessed. They cry out things like peace and glory. They're acknowledging the power and majesty of Jesus and what he brings into our lives. His tangible presence, it brings life, it brings peace, it brings freedom. And so they're crying out and declaring him. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna take about five to 10 minutes on each of these three sections. We're gonna look at three things this morning. We're gonna look at performance. We're gonna look at purpose. And then finally, we're gonna look at posture or positions of worship. Performance, purpose, and postures. 
So I want to talk to you about performance a little bit. I think it's important to address this right up front. Um, very often, and I think a lot of it is just in our culture, we've been very prone to going to, whether it's concerts or sporting events or whatever, we are attending something. And when we're attending something, there's an element of engagement, but there's also an element, uh, an element of, I'm watching, I'm observing, I'm the audience. Something is happening there that I'm witnessing. I may celebrate it, I may cheer along, I may sing along, but I am the audience and they are the performers. And I just think it's important to recognize, I don't know that we would do this on purpose, but it's, it's pretty easy because we live in that culture with concerts and with sports, and there's probably other examples that we could give. Then when we show up in a church setting or environment, a worship environment, that we slip into that same mentality. There's somebody up on the stage, they're performing, I'm, I'm recognizing how great they sing, how good they play guitar, or maybe I'm analyzing how I don't think they're doing a great job, but in some form or fashion, it turns into they are performing and I'm witnessing it. And maybe I participate a little bit if I really like what's going on. Do y'all, do y'all see that? That's just a danger that we can slip into. And I think it's important to recognize that. This isn't a performance. Now, there's another view of worship that goes something like this. The idea that the audience is God. He's the audience. We're not the audience. He's the audience. And in fact, instead of the stage being the performers, everybody in the congregation were the performers. And so there's kind of this model where the audience is God, the performers are the congregation, and the people up on the stage are sort of like the ones kind of directing us. Like, here's how we do it. Here's how you lift your hands. Here's what you sing here. And they sort of direct us into that. That's a pretty typical model of worship. Can I tell you something? That's not biblical. That's not biblical. In fact, it's actually from pagan culture. It has, it has pagan kind of inherent um, systems in it. Here, here's what that produces. The problem with us as worshipers being the performers and God being the audience is something is now required out of us. The goal is either I need to satisfy or appease God. Am I singing enough? Am I putting enough of my heart into it? Am I performing the right motions? Is God pleased with me? I'm either trying to appease a God who may not be happy with me, or I'm trying to get him to do something for me. It's a form of manipulation, really. If I do X, Y, and Z, then he's required to do A, B, and C. Now, I don't know about you, I can fall into that trap. And I don't, not even just in a setting of worship, I mean in my life. If I'm worshiping God with my life, God, I'm doing the things you've asked me to do. I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm trying to be a good husband, I'm trying to be a good father. Why isn't stuff working out right now? And it's like an equation. The stuff on this side is supposed to equal the stuff on this side. God, I brought this. Why didn't you bring that? I'm just confessing to you. I've fallen into that. And, and one of the roots of the problem is that is we model that in our worship, in our churches, because we've turned worship into us as the congregation needs to perform. Because there are things that we just kind of do, we sing, we raise our hands, it turns into this expectation. 
Like I'm supposed to do this stuff or I've let God down. Or maybe the guy and gal up front are disappointed in me because I'm not, you know, come on. It's a trap. These are both, both of these are broken models of worship and it's because they're rooted in performance. Someone is performing, someone else is watching and judging. Either the people on stage are performing and we're watching and judging, or God is the audience and we're all trying to perform for him and get it right because he may be unhappy with us or because we may want something from him. And those are broken models. Do y'all see that? So those are just a couple of examples that I want to give you to be careful of. So what's the reality? The reality is that in true worship, there is no audience. We need to like completely change our model, our view of worship. There is no audience. There's not. What is actually taking place? Well, we're not going to go through and read the whole passage. Um, I'd encourage you, you can look back at Exodus chapter 30. You know, it's funny, um, preparing for the message this week, just in my kind of reading through the Bible stuff I'm doing right now, I'm like right in the middle of a lot of this. So it was cool how it fell. But one of the things that happens is the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt and they're, they're now in the wilderness. God begins to give them some instructions on what the place of worship is going to look like. It's very detailed and very elaborate and very beautiful. But he says something specific about this tent that was set up. It was called the tent of meeting. And literally, he just says in Exodus chapter 30, verse 36, this is where I will meet with you. That's what worship is. Worship is the place where we meet with God. The beauty of that is I can do that anywhere. We get to do it together at set times when we decide, hey, y'all want to do this together? Wouldn't that be fun? We can go hang out with God together. We can decide to do it every Sunday morning if we want. Or we can show up for special events like tonight. That's great. It's encouraged in scripture. It's beneficial to do it in a large group of people. But that's not the only place that worship takes place. Because the veil has been torn in two, because God says, I'm now with you always, my spirit has been poured out on all flesh, we can worship him anywhere at any time. He's available. Worship is simply the place where he will meet with us. That means my, my bedroom can turn into that. My car can turn into that. So the real purpose when we do gather in a larger setting is, you know, like as worship leaders, so Crystal and Alex as an example, their, their only real purpose, we're just trying to create an environment where we can have a meeting with God. That's it. God, we're going to do what we can to get out of the way, to remove distractions and just say, God, here's a place and here's a time and here's a group of people who've decided, Lord, we want to meet with you. You are welcome here. We're inviting you here. Our intention is to spend this time with you. Real worship will bring you into a place of real, wonderful encounter. Man, there are, there are moments where it just, we get past what we're doing and we recognize, man, I really am in God's presence and it's incredible. Um, but there's some things we need to be aware of with that. Number one, um, it can feel really good. Have y'all experienced that? Have you experienced being in a worship setting, maybe with a large group of people where you were like, man, this feels great. Like God's touching my heart. Like my emotions are being impacted. Like I'm, I'm overcome by something incredible God's doing in my life. Am I the only one that's experienced moments like that? Yeah, it's incredible. That's not a bad thing. The problem is if we're not careful, that can even become the purpose and why we're worshiping. We can, we can move from, God, I get to be with you 
to, man, the reason I'm doing this is because it feels really good. And then if it's not feeling really good, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with you? What's going on? Right? So it's wonderful. It's beautiful. There's these moments of encounter that are incredible. It's meant to be that, but it can be a dangerous thing. You know, I think it's worth noting um, that actually being in a worship setting, there's some pitfalls. It really is true. Think about this. Lucifer, Satan, does anybody know what was his job in heaven before he became the fallen angel? What did he do? He was the worship leader. There's something inherently dangerous about worshiping. I begin to chase and pursue something other than the person of God. Worship is about pursuing the person of God. Here's I try to think in, for me personally, I just do well with like visuals I can relate to. And so I'll give you a picture of this. I feel like I put my poor son, Micah, I tell stories about him all the time. Like, um, but, but one of the things, I may have even told this story before, one of the things that's really funny with him is, you know, when he wants something, he gets real snuggly, right? If I'm sitting on my couch, like one of his favorite things is playing games on the iPad. If I'm sitting in my chair on the couch holding my iPad, you know, he'll come crawling up in my lap. He's got a big grin on his face. He kind of, you know, nudges in there, wraps his arm around me. I mean, I've even had him like do this to my cheek. And then before I know it, his hand starts going for the iPad, right? And he just, he just wants to take that thing and run. Listen, our father loves us. He wants us just to climb up in his lap. But if I'm just there to get something, I'm missing the whole point. I get to climb up in my daddy's lap because my dad loves me and he wants to spend time with me and he wants to embrace me. That's what worship is. It's not performance. It's it's an exchange. It's an experience. It's spending time with our daddy and he loves us. Does that make sense? Y'all hearing that this morning? All right, let's continue on. So purpose. So let's get into purpose a little bit. Just to kind of build on this imagery, I want to give you a couple of things to consider. Um, Think of it like this. The statement, I love you. When you say the words, I love you to someone, do you just intend that to be a sentence that you throw out there and then you move on? Like if I just say to my wife, I love you, do I expect things to stop there? Or is there something I'm secretly hoping for? What am I hoping for when I tell my wife I love you? Yeah, I'm hoping she will say, I love you too. Or maybe she'll give me the Han Solo, I know. I'm not sure. Okay, there's a couple Star Wars fans in the room. Um, Right? Like the statement, I love you, is actually really a question. Because what you're hoping for when you throw out that I love you is that you're getting the I love you back. Well, there is, there is this exchange going on when we're worshiping God. The reason that we rehearse and hopefully the reason we're able to receive is he is declaring, I love you. That's step one. Am I able to hear that God is saying, I love you? Or am I instead hearing a bunch of other lies? He's disappointed in me. I've let him down. I haven't done enough. I blew it too much this week. I fill in the blank. Am I able to hear the truth that God is saying, I love you? And then do I realize I've been invited into this moment to be able to say back to him, wow, God, I I actually am understanding that you do love me. I'm getting a glimpse of that. I'm recognizing that. 
man, I love you too. I love you too. Dr. Mark Rutland, this guy I've mentioned in the past, I'll mention him again in the future. Um, I love the imagery he uses here. He talks about it being like a marriage proposal, which I think that's pretty biblical. We're called the bride of Christ. But he relates to it that way, that worship is really, do you hear the groom saying, will you marry me? And then hopefully we all just go, yes, yes, I'll marry you. I would love to do that. That's, that's the exchange that's gone. These, this imagery, God is a God of love. He loves us and he relates to us as a father to his children. He relates to us as a husband and a wife. There's that imagery of us being the bride of Christ. These are things that he is communicating to us. Here's the bottom line. The purpose of Christian worship is for us to have an encounter with God. And when we have that encounter, we discover he's really good. He's really good. He loves me. And I get to say yes back to him. See, here's, here's the deal. Just kind of building on this marriage analogy. My wife, Amy, the longer we're together, um, I know her a little bit more. I know her a little bit better. I begin to see more and more ways that she loves me. Some of the ways I realize how much she loves me is how much she puts up with, with me and yet she sticks with me. But my, my heart has a deep sense of how much she loves me and also I know how much I love her. Imagine if I just spent our whole married life just grabbing hold of, understanding her love for me and inside it's just building more and more. It's like, man, my wife loves me so much, that's amazing. What happens if I never tell her that? Do, do you see the importance of us responding if I have love in my heart for my wife, I need to say, babe, I love you. I love you. I need to express it. The power of us responding in worship, we are designed to be in relationship. We are designed for that. We were made to be in relationship with God. It's similar to prayer. Why do I pray? He already knows all that stuff. It's a relationship. There is an exchange taking place. The power of worship, it, it doesn't stop with just understanding in my heart and mind that God loves me. There is a deep need for me to take that truth and say, God, I love you back. That's why we respond in worship. We are communicating out to him what we feel inside. It needs to get out. The truth is, if I never experienced that with my wife, not only am I ripping her off for hearing how I really feel about her, but I'm also missing out on what takes place as we exchange that. When I tell her I love her and show her I love her and in various ways in our relationship, spending time with each other, trying to communicate through words of affirmation, giving gifts, different ways that I may express love to my wife, it builds her up, it strengthens our relationship, but I'm also creating in exchange, the more I'm doing that with her, guess what? It comes back this direction too. There's this beautiful loving exchange that takes place. We were meant, we were made to declare and to show and to communicate our love to others. And that's what worship is in our relationship with God. We're saying to him, God, I love you. So that's the purpose. It's this exchange. It's this loving give and take. I love you is what he's saying. I love you too is what we're saying back. 
So I want to finish this morning by talking a little bit about our postures. We've talked about performance. We've talked about purpose. Now we're going to talk about postures. Um, has anybody in here ever heard of a guy named Malcolm Gladwell? I've read, a, I've read a couple of his books. He's got this great book called The Tipping Point. Um, and in that book, he's got this story that has just always stood out to me. And so I want to try to just recap this story a little bit. I, I promise it ties in or I don't know, hopefully it ties in. So in, in this chapter, he's talking about this university study that was done. And so they went on this college campus and they got a bunch of college students to volunteer for this project they were doing. And what they told them is, hey, we've got these new headphones that are these nice, expensive headsets and we need to do some testing with people. We want to figure out how well you can hear through them. We want to figure out how well they hold, hold up in certain stressful situations. And so you're going to come in and you're going to listen to some music. And then you're going to listen to like more of a talking like radio broadcast. And then we're going to ask you some questions to make sure you heard clearly. So they come in and they had them in three groups. And so they said, okay, the first group, we want you just sitting perfectly still. Don't move. Just sit perfectly still, listen to everything, answer the questions. Okay, group number two, when you guys come in, we want you just shaking your head up and down like this. Just up and down, up and down. Shake your head like that the whole time you're listening. Okay, group three, we want you shaking your head side to side like this the whole time, and then we'll see what answers that we get. Now, what the students didn't know is that this test had nothing to do with headphones, and it was all about a psychological experiment. And there was one question hidden within all the questions that was what they were really asking about. So while they're all listening on the headphones, the radio broadcast was a debate happening on campus that was about tuition at the school. And the debate was the person in the thing was arguing that their tuition should go up, that it should be raised. I forget what the amount is, but the tuition should go up. And so they're listening. Now, here's the fascinating thing. On average, the people that sat perfectly still, when they answered that question, the question was, what do you think the tuition should be at school? The people that sat perfectly still said it should stay the same. The people that had been shaking their head like in agreement said their tuition should go up. They said they should pay more tuition. Does anybody want to pay more for anything? But they had been sitting like this while listening to someone say we should raise tuition. And they said, we should raise tuition. Guess how the people responded that were shaking their head like this. They said, we're paying too much. We should pay less tuition. Now, does that scare anybody a little bit? <laughs> that, that freaks me out a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm that, what I'm doing with my physical body controls that much of how I think? Yes. God created us as fully integrated beings. My body, my mind, my spirit, it all works together. It is really hard to sit like this and be thinking, I love you so much. It's really hard on the inside to be going, yes, we just scored a touchdown when I'm sitting on the couch like this. It's, we're connected. There's a reason I jump up and I'm like, High five and Alex when there's a big like score in a game where we're cheering for the same team. That doesn't happen really very often, does it? No, we don't typically cheer for the same teams, <laughs> right? But there's, we do that. Our, our body is engaging with what we're feeling on the inside. There is a reason that the scripture maps out 
physical activities that are connected to worship. It's not about controlling us. It's not about manipulating us. It's not about performing for the Lord. He knows something about us. Our bodies engage with our minds and with our hearts, and they all work together. And he is telling us, I made you to have a loving relationship with me. You were meant to experience the beauty of a good king, a good father who loves you, who has your best interests at heart and who is declaring through the course of your life, I love you and I'm with you. And we were made to respond to that. And so some of these physical things I'm going to walk you through, they're postures that help our mind and our heart and our body all work in agreement. And so hear these. I'm not saying you have to do all these at once. There's a ton of pictures in scripture. I'm going to give you five or six really quick. And then there's a list of a whole lot more. But the reason we do some of the things we do on Sunday morning aren't arbitrary. They're from God's word. So let's take a look at some of these. I love Pastor Jonathan kind of made the note when he just briefly mentioned some of these when he was here before that um, these things themselves are not worship. He said they're like tools in the tool belt that you'd use to build the house. They're tools in the tool belt. So here we go. Here's some pictures. We're going to go through these just pretty quickly. I just want you to see that these things are in the scripture. Singing. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. I love that particular passage because it's helping us connect the dots of what we just said. Sing out and make music in your heart to the Lord. My heart is in agreement with my mouth when I'm singing. Secondly, shouting. You might hear me do this occasionally on a Sunday morning in the middle of worship. Shouting, Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Shouting is an appropriate response of worship. Clapping, Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Hand raising, Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. I love that. You know, I think there's a few different imageries of raising our hands. You've probably heard of like the surrender move, right? Like somebody's got the gun on me, my hands go up. Like it's a symbol of surrender. But raising your hands can also be a sign of celebration. Yes, yeah. It's surrender, it's celebration. We raise our hands, that's biblical. Kneeling, Psalm 95, verse six. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Giving, number six. Giving is a form of worship. Philippians chapter four, verse 17. This is Paul writing to um, the Philippian church and he says, not that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I think it's funny already at the, in the early parts of the, the early church, Paul's already have to addressing the right reason for giving, that it's not about getting something. It's not about taking people's money. He says, no, there's something more going on here. And he says in verse 18, I've received full payment and more. In other words, man, you guys have been generous. I'm well supplied. I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And look what he says about those gifts. They're a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, there's all kinds of reasons to give. 
um, because I'm giving towards something I believe in, because I want to participate. I, I want to make a difference. Those are all great. But there's a reason that we give as a part of our worship services. It is actually a way that we worship God. I'm actually worshiping it with all my finances when I give. I'm saying, God, everything I have is yours. And here's a picture of that. I'm, I'm giving you something that belongs to you in worship. So that's an aspect of worship. All right, here's some others. I'm not going to give you all the scripture references for these. I'm just going to go through, through them. Um, the scripture talks about making a show, being foolish, playing a stringed instrument, singing. We said that. Extending your hands, speaking, addressing in a loud tone, singing in a choir of worshipers, to seek, to draw near, to set apart. Just setting time aside for God is, is an act of worship. Time, time's limited. It's sacrificial to set time aside for him. To pray, to serve, to battle on his behalf. To burn incense of a sacrifice. So something sacrificial. That, that's where that giving even kind of tied in. Paul was alluding to that. Something that costs you something. It doesn't just have to be financial. But when it costs you something in worship, sacrifice. To bow down, to lie prostrate, to kneel. These are all pictures that we see in worship. And they all just tie into different places we may be in, in our heart. And there might be moments of worship where the place I'm at with the Lord is I'm excited and I'm going to clap my hands. I'm going to shout, you know, I might jump up and down. Um, I would say dance, but I don't dance well. So it's more just awkward jumping or something. But like sometimes that might be the expression that's required. That's what's going on in my heart. I'm excited. Other times the truth is I may be very aware that God loves me, but man, I'm in a tough spot. I might be reflecting on something very real in my life that needs to change, some sin, a struggle. Um, I might be going through something difficult, a hard season. Um, I'm, there's a loss, there's a hurt, there's a wound. See, he meets us where we are. There's, there's pictures in here physically that mirror places we're at in our hearts. Sometimes all I can muster is, God, I'm just, I'm just here. I need you. I love you. Sometimes all I can do is just lie down. I'm spent. And God, I'm just lying in your presence. There, there are physical postures that correlate to the reality of where we are in our heart. Worship is not about um, meeting some standard or coming in and going, hey, it's Sunday, we're supposed to be happy. So worship means big smile on my face, loud singing, lots of clapping. No, worship is God, I'm coming to be in your presence. You're here, you love me, I need you, I love you, and I'm gonna get real with you. I'm going to come as I am. And so, Lord, if what I have to bring this morning is my tears, I'm bringing my tears. God, if what I have to bring this morning is joy, I'm, I'm bringing joy. I'm declaring and singing your goodness. I'm going to come as I am into your presence. Thank you that you meet me where I am. Thank you. You've given me physical postures that match where I am in my heart and my relationship with you. And I come into his presence. I hear him saying, I love you and I respond back. That's worship.